to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Acts 20 and 20, this is Paul speaking, and now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you uh, and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Everybody say from house to house. So teaching home Bible studies is extremely biblical. They did it in the days of the apostles in the book of Acts, and I believe we should still be doing that here today. One of the things about home Bible studies is there's a lot of people that don't leave their house a lot. You're not going to see them a lot at the, the supermarket. How many of you know that's true? Uh, a lot of people, they call them homebodies. They just like to stay at home. The only chance you've got to reach them is at their house. Um, and another thing is there's a lot of people that are not going to come to church. Newsflash. They won't. They're not comfortable with the concept until you teach them a home Bible study. Because that opens the door of their heart and they see, okay, these people aren't a cult. What they teach is the truth. And so uh, one of the things we're going to do specifically, and um, I'm just going to kind of address this and move on, but uh, Pastor Davis has given us permission. We're going to start something called a Bible study team. And basically all this is, it's not a huge commitment, but we're going to keep track of Bible studies and we have a goal by the end of the year to teach at least 100 new Bible studies, at least by the end of the year. We're going to have a chart. Yes, sir, just set it up there. I'll set it up in a minute. Uh, we're going to have a chart and uh, actually track them as you teach them. Track them. New Bible studies is key word. Um, I taught a new, a brand new one today. Uh, had three guys there. So the, the point is uh, we want to get as many new Bible studies started as possible. And I really believe this is a key. Um, I've had a huge burden about this ever since the first this year. Um, and Pastor Davis has been mentioning the same thing, that we've, we've got to have revival this year. We can't keep putting it off. We've got to do it this year. And uh, there is a hungry harvest today, and uh, that's something I want to talk about. All right, let me just begin quickly uh, by just establishing the fact of the value of one soul. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 8, we all know the story. Philip leaves because of persecution. He leaves Jerusalem. And he goes out and he begins to preach in Samaria. And they have this massive revival with souls getting the Holy Ghost everywhere. They're getting baptized in Jesus' name. But God speaks to him and he says, Philip, I want you to go somewhere else. Now, I mean, just kind of picture this in your mind for a minute. How would you like to, be, to have an awesome harvest like that and have God speak to you and say, you're going to leave this revival? And God sent him from that red-hot revival into the desert for one soul. That's how important that one soul. But if you want to figure out how important that one soul was, the Ethiopian eunuch, they studied it back to the roots. The massive revival that they had there was all because of that one man. He was in a strategic position. Um, he was uh, a servant to the queen. And so when he went back, he shared what he had heard with everybody, and it spread all throughout that region. Uh, that's the value of one soul. Something else, uh, the Bible tells us about a man by the name of Ananias. It only records him winning one soul. But that soul was the apostle Paul. And think of how many he reached. If you only win one soul and that soul goes on to affect his family, it's worth it. Um, and so just something, if I could kind of present this to you here tonight, ask you three questions. Number one, what do you want? What do you want? Number two, how bad do you want it? And number three, what are you willing to do to get it? That's the three questions I want to kind of lodge in your brain, okay? Um, and this is what my point is. Uh, we all say we want to be a soul winner. How, be, how many of you want to be a soul winner? Just slip your hand up, okay? Um, 
The second question is, how bad do you want to be a soul winner? A lot of us may think, I want to win souls, but when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, we kind of pull back a little bit, okay? I'm, I'm being honest. I've, I've been there. I've done that. Uh, you know, you pray and you feel a burden for the loss. You say, God, I just want to win somebody. And then you get out there in the streets and you clam up. Anybody ever had that experience? I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. I have. Um, and so the third question is, how, uh, what are you willing to do to get it? Um, and so the, let me just kind of present it this way. Jesus said, what, doth the man, uh, what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Then he said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That tells us that the value of one soul is immeasurable. You can't, there's no price high enough to pay for that. And so let me just say this. If all we had was one soul pray through and get the Holy Ghost, it's worth it. It's worth every Bible study. It's worth every door knocked. It's worth everything uh, that we've done on the buses and everything else because one soul, the value of one soul is absolutely immeasurable. Okay, so this is just some things. Uh, now, this is kind of the practical side. I understand that. Um, but I'm going to get to some things here in just a moment. Um, let me just talk for just a minute about the concept of Bible studies. What constitutes a Bible study? First of all, what constitutes a Bible study? Um, just kind of, let me, let me show you some things here. Maybe I want to change your perspective just a little bit, okay? In the book of Acts chapter 8 and verse number 35, uh, the Bible, I mentioned it a minute ago, but he finds the Ethiopian eunuch, the spirit says, go near, overtake this chariot. And he hears this man reading the Bible. He's reading it back then when they read it, they read it out loud. Okay, so he hears him reading, uh, and as he, he comes up to it, he's reading the passage in Isaiah, the suffering servant passage that we know so well. And can you imagine the chills that probably went through Philip? I mean, what a time to walk up on somebody. But that's, that's the key is being spirit-led. You've got to be led of the spirit. And, and, and a lot of times we hear, preach the gospel everywhere. Tell everybody, everywhere you go. I heard a man preach one time, everybody, everywhere, all the time. I agree with that. I believe that. But I do think that the way to become the most powerful witness is to be spirit-led, led of the Holy Ghost. Because you all know, and you've probably had it happen before, you're in the grocery store and you see the clerk behind the counter and you really plan just to get out of there, but something prompts you and says, talk to him. You ever had that happen? Okay, that's, this is the importance of being spirit-led. you got to jump at that opportunity. And here's the way Bible studies work. Um, if God sees you're willing to be led of the Spirit, he'll open more doors, more doors. For instance, let me just say this. If you're at the grocery store and you feel a prompt, a gentle prompt, it's not going to be loud. It's not going to be strong. It's going to be a tiny little prick on your heart, and you'll feel talk to this person. If you'll respond to that, God will do it again and again and again and again. And uh, one of the things, I was just talking to Brother Eric here in just a minute and, and, uh, a minute ago, and uh, y'all have to excuse me. I've been running all day long, so I'm, I'm kind of, if I'm fumbling around, that's the reason why. Uh, but uh, anyways, I was talking to Brother Eric, and I, I was asking him if he could tell his testimony here in just a couple of minutes of how when he started teaching Bible studies, doors started opening. Brother Eric, is that right? Door after door after door. And that's the thing. If you'll step out and you'll teach that first Bible study and God sees you're willing to go, he'll open doors everywhere for you. Then you'll get to the place where there's too many for you to count. You can't keep up with them all. And you have to start sharing them out with, with other people because God sees you're willing to go. But if God prompts you and you don't respond to that prompting, doors won't open for you. God wants to see if you're willing. Uh, let me just use this as an example. Let's just say, uh, Brother Caleb, Let's just say that I walk up to you and say, hey, bub, um, I got a friend of mine 
that wants a Bible study, I don't really feel comfortable teaching it to him. Here's his phone number. Do you think you could teach it? Now, Caleb has an option at that point. How important is that to him? He could either say, man, this is important, and pick up the phone first chance and call him. Or he could just say, well, I'll do it later and leave it to the side. And then a week later, he forgets about it. Guess what? God's not going to open doors for him if he does that. If you jump on every opportunity, as soon as it comes up, guess what? God's going to start opening door after door after door. You know why God opened the door for Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch? Because he saw that when all the other Jews were too prejudiced to go to Samaria, Philip went to Samaria. And so God opened more doors and more doors and more doors, okay? So I'm just kind of making a point here. Uh, One of the things to do to get Bible studies is to be uh, responsive, a quick responder to God. When God prompts you, move on it. Jump on it. What do they say, like white on rice? You ever heard that? Jump on it, like white on rice, and and, um, you'll get more Bible studies that way, I promise you. Okay, Um, let's talk about this. Pray for a door of utterance. I'll give you more, like, Step one, step two, whatever, in a minute. But number one, pray for a door of utterance. Colossians 4 and 3. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Now, this is interesting, okay? This is the Apostle Paul talking. We're not just talking about your average Joe in a church. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. But even the Apostle Paul told this church uh, in, in the letter to the Colossians, he said this. He said, pray that God would open for me a door of utterance. So that tells us, you know, you can go out and witness everywhere, but if God doesn't open a door of utterance, it won't do any good. So you pray regularly, God, open unto me a door of utterance. Open unto me a door of utterance. I'll tell you this. Bible studies, if you want them, it starts with prayer. And I know that sounds so simplistic. It, is that true? Brother, he, that's one of the reasons I'm glad he's here. He can testify to this. It starts with prayer. When you start with a burden, you pray. Because I'll tell you this, a lot of people, they say, well, I want to get involved with Bible studies because they feel condemned. It has to go beyond the point of condemnation, feeling guilty for not teaching somebody. It has to go beyond the pastor getting up and preaching a message about soul winning and you feel convicted so you feel like you have to go out and teach. No, it has to be a burden. You have to feel compassion for people. Does anybody remember that message I preached a while back called Move with Compassion? Uh, I was talking about the fact you study that Jesus, it says over and over, he was moved with compassion, moved with compassion. In other words, it wasn't a passive love. It was an aggressive love. It said, I have to do something. And so um, that's where it starts. It starts with prayer. So this is, let me just kind of to show you just a little bit. This is, this is the way I pray. I pray it on a regular basis. I pray it every day. God, open unto me a door to witness to somebody. I want to win a soul. I pray it all the time. Probably drive God nuts praying that prayer. I want to win a soul. I want to win a soul. I want to win a soul. I pray it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't give up. I just keep praying, God, I want to win a soul. I want to win a soul. You know what that does? It makes you soul conscious, number one. Number two, God hears that prayer and he takes it seriously. And if you start praying that, what's going to happen is there's going to be a door of opportunity open unto you. What you do with that door will decide where you go from there. Does everybody get that? Okay. Um, it really is a thing of the Spirit. I know we don't want to hear that. You, everybody wants you to kind of say, you know, point, do point one, then do step two, then do... No, it's a thing of the Spirit. It starts with prayer. You've got to be praying about it. God, give me a burden for souls. Give me a burden for souls. Open a door for a Bible study. And we'll, we'll talk about how to get a Bible study here in just a minute. Uh, another thing is be friendly. I mean, I know this is very simplistic, 
But if you're, you're being prayerful, okay, and you're praying to God, um, God's still not going to use you if you're not a friendly person. I mean, let's just be honest, okay? Like, let's pretend Tom is a uh, desk clerk, and I go up and I buy the stuff. He says, uh, will that be up? Yeah, uh, that will be fifteen fifty. Okay, stick the card in, turn around and walk off. You're probably not going to get too many doors for Bible studies. Um, but let me show you something. If you're a friendly person, and it doesn't matter how uncomfortable. Look, I am not, my wife can tell you, I am not an outgoing person. I am not. I, I would rather be alone than do anything. I'm not an outgoing person. I have to force myself to be outgoing. I have to force myself to try to, to win souls and teach Bible studies. That's not my natural thing. I'm not comfortable at all with that. Um, I heard a story about a pastor that started a church, and he said when he first started that church, he was so nervous that as soon as he would get through preaching, he would run in the office and go out. He, he parked right outside his office and go out and leave before anybody could talk to him uh, because he said, I was not a people person. But he talked about that man went on to become a tremendous soul winner. Uh, the point is, anybody can win souls if they want it bad enough. Okay, so you got to force yourself to be friendly. Uh, like for instance, if you see, uh, let's let's just use again Tom. Let's say he's a desk clerk, and just say um, he says, uh, "Will that be it?" Yeah, that'll be everything. How are you doing today? I mean, that's that's doesn't take rocket science, right? How are you doing today? And they said, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Y'all being busy? Are y'all staying busy? Yeah, we're, we're, we've been pretty busy. Oh, okay. Well, how many customers y'all had come in today? Just start a conversation. Get to talking to them. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that every single time you go to the store, you're going to get an open door to give them the full gospel. But what that does mean is you're establishing a relationship with them. So the next time you go in, you can pick up where you left off. Hey, man, it's good to see you again. Uh, I was thinking about you the other day. How are you doing? And before you know it, a door opens, and all of a sudden, they may say something along the lines of, boy, you sure look nice today. Where would you come from? Guess what? There's an open door to invite them to church to talk to them about God. Uh, So anyways, it's just just be friendly. Number three, uh, be intentional. So number one, be prayerful. Number two, be friendly. Number three, be intentional. Um, If you're constantly thinking about uh, winning souls, getting Bible studies, um, and you're intentional about it. You go out, in other words, with the express purpose of, I've got to teach a Bible study. I've got to win a soul to God today. And if you're intentional about it, God's going to open doors for you. Um, and so that ties in with being friendly. If you're, if you're friendly and then you're also intentional, you're trying to think constantly. I remember hearing Brother uh, Etheridge make a statement. Who in here knows Brother Etheridge is a tremendous soul winner? I remember hearing him make a statement that's always stuck with me. He said he was in the middle of a conversation with a couple in an elevator, and he said, I kept thinking in my head, how can I turn this conversation toward God? Do you all remember him saying that? Um, and I thought, boy, that's, that's awesome. Because uh, a lot of times it, it starts with just being friendly. And here in a minute I'll kind of maybe give you like an idea of something you can do. But it starts with just being friendly. And as you talk, to, now I'm not always the best person about this, okay? But as you talk to somebody and you're just being friendly and you're being kind and you're being nice, be thinking in your head, how can I turn this conversation toward God? Now what you don't want to do is, uh, you know, boy, the weather sure is nice today. How, how would you like to come to church? I mean, that's, that's not a natural progression. You see what I'm saying? Uh, because a lot of times when we walk up to people and just hand them a church card, that doesn't necessarily say we care about them. But if you take time to listen to them, to talk to them, to find out their name, to ask them about their family, ask them about their occupation, they see this person cares about me. 
and it makes a bigger impact when you do invite them to church. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and so be intentional. Uh, just constantly be thinking about how can I turn this uh, conversation toward God. Another thing is be available. Be available. Um, and what do I mean by that? Okay, what I mean by, by that is, for instance, like Philip, God speaks to me, says, run near and overtake this chariot. Philip had a short window of time to respond. If he had hesitated for just a few minutes, he would have been too late. Uh, again, I, I remember Brother Verity told a story, and y'all probably all remember it, where he said he remembers a day that he was at the train station. I think it was at the train station, and he said he saw this guy, and the Holy Ghost said, you, you remember this, don't you? He said he saw this guy, and the Holy Ghost said, go witness to him. And he said, I hesitated for a second, and he said he got on the train and left, and he said as he pulled out, he said I saw his eyes looking back at mine. And he said, the Holy Ghost said, you missed it. He'll go to hell because of you. So my point is this. Uh, you've got to be available. Witnessing is never convenient. Um, for instance, Jesus was tired from his journey and sat down by the well at Samaria. Anybody know what happened? Peter was hungry. He went up on the rooftop to pray. As he prayed, God shows him a vision. It's never convenient. It'll never happen at a convenient season. Um, usually when it happens is when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you just want to get home, okay? So hopefully this is some things that will kind of help you. Uh, when the, the Holy Ghost prompts you, just be available. You, you know, we can all pray, Lord, here am I, send me. But are we really available? So be available, okay? Um, all right. Now let me just talk about some uh, uh, other things here tonight, and uh, then we're going to get into, I'm going to try to teach a Bible study in front of you, just to show you it's not that, it's not that difficult, okay? Um, let me mention this fact. If you're going to teach Bible studies, um, the goal really is not to get them just to sit down with you one time. Uh, and if I could kind of get this out of your mind, I think all of us think, if I can just get them to sit down and I teach them into this marvelous light, they're off my hands. That's not the case, okay? Um, what should, the goal really should be is to get them to sit down for a longer Bible study with you. And you might say, why is that? To establish a relationship, to get to know the person. To show them that you care. Because if you just sit down and teach them one time, says, well, I don't know why you didn't get baptized in Jesus' name, get the Holy Ghost, but I, I'm going to wipe the dust off my feet and move on to the next person. Well, guess what? They're not off your hands. You've got to establish a relationship with the person. Um, there's longer studies, and I, I've got some of them over here. I'll show you here in a minute. But there's longer studies that are built for that. They go all the way through the Bible. Um, let me show you a couple of these here. Uh, I'm teaching several groups these right now. Um, uh, this is one specifically, and I may have mentioned some of these last time I taught this, but um, one specifically is called Bringing Men to Jesus. And um, this is a study that's five lessons long. Everybody see that? You can purchase the chart for $35 off of Pentecostal Publishing House. The manual, I think, is about 15 or 20 um, And so, you know, that's, that's not very high price to win a soul, is it? Um, again, how bad do you want it, you know? Um, and so anyways, it's, it, it's five lessons and it starts with just kind of, uh, the beginning talking about the book of Genesis, walks them through a very basic overview of the old Testament, goes into the new Testament, talks about the birth of Jesus. And then the last lesson is about the book of Acts and it tells them the plan of salvation. Uh, you know, if you can get somebody to sit down with you for five weeks, you say, but how in the world can you do that? Guess what? If you get them interested enough in that first lesson, they'll want to sit down for the second lesson. 
and the third lesson, okay? Uh, so that's an idea. Uh, some other options here, uh, and I'm just I'm trying to go over these as quick as possible, is um, search for truth. Probably a lot of you have seen this one. I've taught this one a lot. Um, search for truth, too. This is actually search for truth, too. It's got more colorful charts. This one is a little bit more in-depth than bring them into Jesus. It's actually 12 lessons long. Uh, I will tell you all, I don't usually teach all 12 lessons. Um, once I get to the book of Acts and the plan of salvation, I stay on it until I feel like they got it, okay? Uh, but that's just, that's another idea uh, that, again, it gives you time to establish a relationship with a person, okay? Um, another option is this one, and this is the one I'm going to teach in front of you all tonight. Um, it's called Exploring God's Word. They just came out with an update, and uh, I started teaching this to two different groups today. This is basically, it goes through an overview of the Old Testament. Can everybody see that? It goes through an overview of the Old Testament and um, kind of basically just tells them how many books in the Bible. Now, why is this important? Okay, a lesson learned the hard way. Um, I remember, my wife will remember this. She went with me. Um, the church we were at, the very first Bible study I ever taught, one-on-one. I'm talking about one-on-one Bible study I ever taught. The church was challenging everybody to get involved with Bible studies, and so I walked up to my boss and asked my boss for a Bible study, and she said yes. So, of course, my wife came with me, um, and we sat out with Into His Marvelous Light. I'll never forget it, and I, I hon, I don't, maybe my wife remembers better than I do, but I opened the Bible up, and I tried to start with the book of Matthew, and I said, now, of course, you know the story of Jesus's uh, uh, birth, and uh, you know how, because remember, it starts in the, in the book of Matthew. And she said, no. Now, she's a professed Christian. And I said, oh, okay, well, um, I'm trying to think of how far back to go. So I mentioned several other things. No, no, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. So then I said, okay, uh, do you know the story of the creation account? No. She didn't know any of it. She was a professed Christian. You cannot assume that people, number one, believe in the Bible. Number two, you cannot assume that they know enough to have you shove Acts 2.38 down their throat. You can't assume that. It's like today, I could not go straight to Acts 2.38. Um, I'll tell you, I still taught the doctrine, but uh, I had to start from square one with the three guys I had at Bible study uh, because they didn't know the Bible, okay? One of them had a religious background. Another one kind of knew a few things, but one guy did not know the first thing about the Bible. So sometimes you need to start from square one. You can't just jump right to Acts 2.38. Um, and so, you know, can anybody in here admit that there may have been a day you weren't ready for Acts 2.38? Uh, and so just be, in order to teach Bible studies, you've got to be patient with people. Um, have I ever gotten frustrated? You better believe it. There's been times I feel like walking away and quitting. I, they're just not getting it. They're not getting it. Um, and I've, I've taught a lot of people like that. It just felt like they weren't getting it. But finally, one week you teach it and the light comes on. Let me give you, for instance, uh, I was teaching a guy at the prison. Um, and I've wrestled with him. Some of the guys will know who I'm talking about, Tyrone. He is the, one of the most argumentative people I have ever met in my life. And Tyrone is a stubborn hardhead, okay? Uh, and, uh, you know, I love him, but he's stubborn. And so he knows his Bible, Better than, I'll just be honest, better than most of us. All he does is read it. It's all he does in his cell all day is read his Bible. So he comes armed with questions. And so week after week, it was the same issue. He didn't believe that the Holy Ghost was essential. Week after week, 
after week, and I kept coming back. I said, Tyrone, I've told you this again and again and again. I've walked you through the scriptures. I don't know what more you want me to tell you. So he kept arguing the point until finally, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was up and I was, I was teaching a lesson that I had written on uh, Acts 2.38 and going very specifically through the whole thing, breaking it down. And I remember I said a specific statement, and when I did, the light came on. You never know. You cannot lose patience with people. You've got to be extremely patient if you're going to teach Bible studies, okay? And one of the beauties of these longer studies is uh, it allows you to establish a relationship with the person. And guess what? Probably the only false doctrine that they're familiar with is not just that they don't believe Acts 2.38. Amen? Uh, There's some weird doctrines out there, and a lot of people believe. For instance, I was teaching uh, a few today. Uh, this lady, she's like in her 40, 50s, early 50s. <clears throat> and um, I was teaching, and she brought up a statement that, to be honest, I've never been asked that question before. And uh, I had to do some thinking about it. Uh, but I came back because it's a doctrine I had never, you know, heard of before. It, it blew my mind. Uh, and she's got an awesome grasp on the Bible. My wife could tell you the, the lady's brilliant. I mean, she's, she knows the Bible. But So anyways, long story short, I'm, I'm sorry I'm kind of droning on. Like I said, I've been running all day long, so I apologize. But hopefully this is helping somebody. But did you all know even Jesus got frustrated? The book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 18, And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth. Uh, and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered them and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I serve you? Anybody ever felt like that before? I have. Uh, and then notice what he said here, Luke 24, uh, 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So there were several times he got very frustrated. Even Jesus did. So guess what? There's going to be times you get frustrated. But did he give up on his disciples? No. He kept working with them and working with them and working with them until they got it. And that's what we've got to do. Okay. Um, Let me just talk about uh, a few things. I'm going to skip over a lot of stuff just so I can get to this. How to get a Bible study. Now, this is the very specifics. Okay. How to get a Bible study. You'll want to write this down. Um, Number one. Um, where's the best place to fish where they're biting, right? Um, number one is visitors. Visitors is the best place to get a Bible study. You know why? They show they're at least interested enough in God to show up. And so uh, one of the things I could say is, um, you know, some of my Bible studies have just simply come from being nice to visitors and asking them at some point, would you like a Bible study? Say, but it's on the card. It doesn't matter that it's on the card. Sometimes they need a person to ask them, to show interest in them. Because a lot of times when they come in, you know what? If they say no, sometimes it just means not right now. But if they come in, God moves on them. They feel the Holy Ghost because they feel that out before the service starts. Right? So they may have checked no, but after the Holy Ghost moves and God's speaking to them and, and he's, he's moving in their life, then they might be open to a Bible study. So if it's a lady... Uh, ladies in here, be attentive to visitors. Be one of the first to greet. Be the first one to greet them when they walk in the door. Be the last one to see them before they walk out. And so uh, the thing is, visitors is the number one best place to get a Bible study, okay? Uh, You might say, well, how do I talk to them? Ask them after the service. Well, first, introduce yourself to them. Say, uh, I'd like for you to sit by me tonight. Have them sit by you. While the service is going on, maybe explain to them, you see that guy running right there? He, he used to be on drugs, and God delivered him. 
See what I'm saying? And, and while, say, and, and maybe the pastor gets up and he's preaching, he's in the middle of preaching, and he says something about tongues, and, and just say, I can, I can talk to you more about that later if you want. This is what I'm talking about. You just, you're showing interest in that person. Then when the service is over, walk up to him and say, how'd you enjoy the service? What'd you think? You have any questions? Guess what? If they have questions, open door for Bible study, right? So that's just some ideas, okay? Number one is visitors. Number two, new converts. New converts. Me and Tom are going through one right now, uh, a Bible study series. So uh, new converts is another one. When people pray through, they get the Holy Ghost. You know why we don't retain people? We don't jump on that quick enough. You've got a short window of time to jump on it and disciple them. Guess what? Jesus said, go uh, and, and what did he say? And teach all nations. And that word in the Greek means make disciples of. So uh, it's more than just praying somebody, with somebody in the altar until they get the Holy Ghost and they get baptized in Jesus' name. Um, the devil's going to jump on them again like white on rice as soon as they step out that door. Your job is to fight the devil for that soul. Okay, so you can't just assume because they got the Holy Ghost, got baptized, that they're going to live. Will a baby live once it's born uh, if the mother doesn't feed it and take care of it and nurture it and bathe it? No, you, you've got to constantly watch that baby when it cries, be attentive to it, be there for it, uh, be there to take their phone calls, give them your phone number, talk to them, take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner, get to know the person. Okay, these are just some ideas. All right. Um, and. Uh, the new convert is a good, good place. Hey, would you like to go through a lengthy Bible study? Takes them all the way through. Guess what? Most of them will. They're, they're wondering about this experience, so they're excited about it. Okay, number three, new convert contacts. Uh, Tom has a list of friends that I don't have. Remember what I told you? I said, I want to teach the Bible study in your home. And I said, the reason why is because you live with your son, and your son has a lot of friends that hang out over there, and I want them to hear the Bible study. So, guess what? The other day I was teaching him in, in his home, and one of his son's friends had to hang out because his dog wouldn't leave me alone. Remember that? So he had to hear some of what I was teaching. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm planting seeds. What I'm saying is it's not just the new convert. It's the new convert context. Mm-hmm. But he believes in God. So he's really, yeah, he's not even an agnostic then. Yeah. So uh, is that the guy I met? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so basically, the thing is, it's not just the new converts. It's the new converts' contacts. Uh, they call it networking. You can, you can teach a lot of Bible studies off networking. Okay. So new convert contacts. And fourth, uh, referrals. Referrals. Referrals from people you teach. <clears throat> um, anybody that's ever taught Bible studies could probably say amen to this. Because once you teach somebody a Bible study, what you do is this. They enjoyed it. You say, do you know anybody in your family or any close friends that might be interested in this Bible study? Guess what? That's a way to get more Bible studies. Um, I remember we taught a lady uh, a Bible study. She saw it, and she said, hey, if you don't mind that, that pamphlet that you handed to me to teach this Bible study, do you mind if I go and share it with some other people? You better believe them. You know, go ahead, do it, do it, and we'd like to meet the person. So what I'm saying is uh, basically referrals. That's the fourth way to do it, okay? All right, um, now I'm trying to get through this as quick as possible. Um, I want everybody to do something. Everybody in here, do you have a pen or access to a phone? <clears throat> and I'm telling you, if you, everybody in here will do this, we can have a lot of Bible studies come out of tonight. I promise you that. 
um, if you have a pen or your phone, write down right now 10 people you know that are not in church. It can be family. It can be your neighbor. It can be a coworker. It can be friends, okay? Maybe list some family members first that are not in church. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to write that down. This is very important. And if all this is all I said tonight, I think this it'd be worth it. Um, I'm going to try to set up this chart here in just a minute. Um, so, once you finish, can you just say amen so I'll know when to move on? And really, if you're thinking, you're probably thinking too hard. Just ten people you know. Okay, um, this is what I want you to do. Thank you, Ella. I appreciate that. Amen. All right, um, let's hand out. I'm going to hand out here in just a minute. Thank you, Brother Scott. Um, so this is what I want you to do. Once you fi- Has everybody finished? Can you raise your hand if you finished? Okay. This is what I want you to do. Go to, the, go to the person, each of the people on the list, and just say this, okay? Say it just like this. Um, just say, hey, our church has asked me to teach a Bible study, and I want to be as effective for God as I could possibly be. It is just a 45-minute uh, Bible study. Could I practice on you by teaching you this Bible study so that I can be as effective for God as I could possibly be? Ask them, and guess what? You'll probably get a Bible study out of that. At least somebody on that list is going to say, sure, that'll be okay, and you're giving them the gospel without them realizing what you're doing. Okay? Um, All right, and I'm I'm going to say this before, Brother Tom, if you want to go ahead and get in position, if you wouldn't mind sitting in this chair here. Um, Okay, let me just mention this conversational pieces, all right? This is just practical advice to get conversations started, all right? Now, what I did not want to do is so many times when you hear people, you know, give Bible study seminars or soul-winning seminars, it's all about you need to do it, you need to do it. And everyone I've ever heard is always about you need to do it. I didn't want to just tell you need to. I wanted to show you how to do it, okay? So uh, I wanted it to be more practical, and so here's just some conversation pieces. Number one, family. Number two, occupation. Okay, number three, religion. And I'll show you how you break that down, okay? Uh, Caleb, can you come up here just for a second? I'm just going to make an illustration. Pretend you don't know me, okay? So I don't know Caleb. But I want to try to witness to him about God, okay? So let me just say, uh, hey, man, how are you doing today? Boy, this sure is some crazy weather, isn't it? All right, obviously you have to break the ice a little bit first when you get started to him. This is what I did uh, uh, just just today. I I use this this method, okay? Say, uh, are you from this area? Okay, like you've been here all your life or did you grow up somewhere else? You've been here all your life? Okay. Is your family here? 
Do they, do they live around here? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Do you like the area? Okay, you're kind of, first what you want to talk to them about is their family. Find out about their family. Are you married? Okay, do you have any kids? Okay, so they, yeah. Most people are going to be a little more talkative than what Caleb's being here. Uh, but this is a good example. It's a good illustration. So you're talking to them about family. Okay, next, occupation. What do you do for a living? Yeah. But he would respond to that and say, really, tell me a little bit about your job. Talk to him a little bit about his job, okay? You're interested. Guess what? People love talking about themselves. They do. And so talk to him about his job. Talk to him a little bit about that. Where do you go to church? See what I'm saying? You're not being pushy. You can sit down. But that's the point. You talk to him about family first. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your family. Tell me, are you from this area? Do you live here? Next, you move on to the occupation. What do you do for a living? Uh, tell me about your job. You're showing interest in them as a person. Then, one, after they've talked to you for a while and you've gotten to know them, then you could say, where do you go to church? You're opening a door there. They say, I don't go to church. Really? I do. I'd love to invite you to my church. You see what I'm saying? It's, a, it's, it's better than just walking up to a person saying, I'd like to invite you to church tonight. And that's fine. And sometimes that's all you can get out of them. Okay? But my point is, it's just kind of an idea to, to drop some, some, uh, uh, some doors, okay? Um, all right. Let me use this illustration. Thomas, your mic on? Let me see if you got your mic on. Okay. I'm going to try to teach him a quick Bible study. Let me see what time it is. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to do this in 30 minutes. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to kind of just show you an illustration. Pretend you don't know me, okay? okay. Now, we've gone through the, the lesson one of what I'm going to teach you, so I'm going to teach you part two tonight. Um, but this is what I want to show you. Now, something that happened to me one time, this sister came to me and she said, I've got uh, somebody that wants a Bible study, but I, if you don't mind, I'm going to move this because I'm going to try to take these back over here. Um, she said, I've got a Bible study I'd like for you to teach, but I'm just going to warn you flat out, the guy is extremely rude and he's mean. I said, okay, really? Well, uh, she said, yeah, and he, his, uh, his argument is with speaking in tongues. And he really just wants to argue with somebody. Um, I'm going to get comfortable here. Yeah, don't walk into a Bible study too formal, unless you're like doing a nursing home or something like that. Um, so here's, here's the thing. So uh, I realize she says this guy is he's grouchy. He's hard to get along with. The first thing I realized I had to do was cause him to drop his armor. So what I did is I walked in and said, hey, how are you doing? My name's Jordan. It's great to have you today. My name's Tom. Okay, Tom, it's nice to meet you. Uh, are you from around this area? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So have you lived here all your life? No, I'm from way up north in Ohio. Okay, all right. Well, so anyways, I, this is how I, I introduced. I introduced myself to him and started talking to him for several minutes and just spent several minutes talking to him. I sat down across from him and just started talking about... Um, I introduced myself. I told him about my family. I told him about what I did for a living. I asked what he did for a living. I dropped, he, he, and, and all of a sudden, what you could see is when he came in, he was ready to argue and fight. As soon as I started doing that, I watched his countenance change, and he dropped his facade. And when he did that, after a while, I felt like the Holy Ghost said, now teach him the Bible study. And guess what? I taught him the Bible study. He saw it. Okay, so my point is simply this, uh, you're going to, they're going to be nervous when you sit down with them. You're nervous about teaching it. Guess what? They're nervous about receiving it because they don't know what to expect. Okay. Um, and so you want to cause them to drop their guard. Is that straight? Can everybody see that? Is that straight? Okay. 
Um, all right, so this is what I'm going to do. Now, I've already taught Tom lesson one of the Bible study, uh, but what I'm going to do is this study right here is basically going to almost pick up where the other one left off. Maybe a little bit of review, okay? Um, so this is the longer study, Exploring God's Word, and I'm going to show you. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go all the way through it, but I'm going to show you. Now, number one, I show, you may notice I don't have the manual. Um, I don't really like to use the manual when I teach. One of the reasons is some people will look at you using the manual and say, you must not know your information very well if you have to use a manual. Um, now, I understand you're going to need notes the first couple times you teach it. That's fine. What I would suggest is go through the manual, write out what you would like to say, and have, you can have notes in front of you the first few times you teach it. But anyways, so let me, let me just kind of go through this. All right. Uh, now, if you remember the last time, we just basically talked about the intro to the Bible. We talked about the Bible itself. We talked about how we got the Bible today. Um, do you remember how you know, we went yeah, through some of those things? Okay, and um, as I was uh, talking about that, I taught you a little nice little trick. Uh, first of all, we mentioned the fact that the Old Testament is very important. Right. There's a lot of people that just want to take the Old Testament, throw it out, and they say, all we need is the New Testament because we're living in grace. Well, while it's true we are living in the New Covenant, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and there they which testify of me. And what I mentioned last time, now notice, I'm doing review. You want to make sure that they're caught up before you just start, okay? Uh, what I mentioned last time is the fact when Jesus said that, he was talking about the Old Testament. Right. Because uh, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And then we also mentioned 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And in the Greek, that means God breathed. God breathed it. He inspired it. Okay? And so Paul, when he wrote that, was writing about the Old Testament. So obviously it's important, right? Right. Um, and when Jesus said, the Scriptures testify of me, he's saying that Old Testament all the way through, it testifies about me. Correct. Now he's talking to scribes and Pharisees. These are experts in the law. Yeah. And that he said, you're searching your Scriptures. You think you got eternal life in them. But in reality, you're totally missing the fact they testify about me. Okay? Mm -hmm. So don't you think it's important that we go through the Old Testament, find out what it says about Jesus? Correct. Yeah, because we need to know what uh, Jesus wants from us to start with. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Uh, you know, the, the book of James tells us that somebody that approaches the Word of God uh, and reads it but doesn't apply it is like a man that, that beholds his face in a mirror and walks away and doesn't remember what he looked like. Right. So the Bible tells us we don't just need to read it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it commands us to read it and study it, but it also commands us to apply it. Okay? Correct. So as we go through the Old Testament, I don't want it just to be information to you. I want it to be something you're applying to your life. Okay? Right. Um, and so this is one thing um, that we talked about a little bit, that the Old Testament is split into sections. This is really just to help you remember. All right? Yeah. And it's hard to remember this. I understand. Um, but this one actually simplifies it from what I taught you the last time. Okay. So basically four ages to your Old Testament. There's a period of innocence that would cover all the way from Adam and Eve okay. uh, to the fall. You know what the fall is, right? All right. Uh-huh. And so the fall of man to Abraham covers the period of conscience. That's period two. All right? Okay. Don't worry. You don't have to remember all this right now. We're going to go back <laughs> over it. Okay. Uh, part three is the patriarchs that covers from Abraham to Moses. Okay, yeah. Okay, and then the law and the prophets that covers all the way from Moses to Jesus. So four sections. 
Right. We got innocence, conscience, the patriarchs, and the law and prophets. Just for point of interest, do you know what a patriarch is? No. Okay, basically you would think of it as a head of a tribe. Okay. Okay, and the Bible says that the patriarchs would be considered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we'll talk about that more. Right. All right? Um, now, the last time we also went over just a little bit. Do you remember the key uh, to remembering how many books are in the Old Testament? Do you remember that one? Mm, it's been a few weeks. He was in Florida. Okay. Uh, let me remind you. Long. Old Testament. The word old has three letters in it. The word testament has nine. Put them together, 39. There's right. 39 right. books in your Old Testament. Right. Isn't that I awesome? That's a cool way to remember it, right? <laughs> okay. And basically, did you realize the Old Testament covers over 3,600 years of man's history? I didn't know that long, but I know it was a long time. It was a long time. Uh, and it took 1,500 years to write it. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. But I want you to think about something, Tom. The fact that all these men that wrote this Old Testament came from totally different backgrounds and were separated by hundreds of years, thousands of years, okay? Yet, they all wrote and were in harmony. Now, if you were to take, uh, like, let's just say a medical journal and interview doctors from all around the world about the best way to treat a certain type of cancer, let's use lung cancer, do you think everybody would agree? Nope. Okay, but here's the thing. The Bible agrees, and you know why? There's Somewhere around 32 authors in the Old Testament, uh, writers in the Old Testament, but there's really only one author. God inspired it. That's why there's so much agreement, because God inspired it. You know what you're doing when you're teaching them this? You're, you're building their faith in the Bible. You're establishing the Bible as what you should always use as the precedent for doctrine. Because a lot of people say, but my grandma said, my mama said. No, what does the Bible say? Okay? You can't, you can't tell them that if you haven't established what the Bible's about, and, and how we know it's inspired of God, okay? So uh, the last time we talked about it, we talked about how we got the Bible and the fact that the very first person to write down the words of God, do you remember who it was? Been several weeks. Okay. I'll, I'll fill in the blank. That's a good guess. It was Moses. Moses, okay? Moses was the first person to actually write down the words of God, and it's when he went up on the mountain. And he got the Ten Commandments from God. And after God gave him the law, they went and wrote it down. And then they took the, that main copy of the law and they put it inside the Ark of the Covenant to preserve it, mm -hmm. to keep it safe. But what would happen is the scribes, they had people called scribes. And I mentioned the fact scribes are uh, these men that were just in charge of writing the law. And so what they would do is they would copy it. Like, let's just use this for instance. Let's say... Um, they would go through. By the way, all this is in the manual. You may say, well, how's he remembering all this? All this is in the manual. Once you teach it about 10, 15 times, you're going to remember it. <laughs> all right? So uh, this is how the scribes wrote. They didn't write like we write today, like just sit down and write a sentence. They did like this. They would say it and then write it. So, for instance, like Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, the, the, Lord, Lord, said, said. You get what I'm saying? Right. So they say it, then they write it. And then when they get through writing one page on animal skins, they would take that page and they would go back to the original on that page and they would count the number of letters, uh, the number of uh, words on that page. Word. If it did not match up, let's say, for instance, one of them had 120 and the other had 119, they would throw the whole thing away and start, start again. all over. And that's why we know our Bible's been preserved because guess what? Even with the New Testament, they did that in the early days of the New Testament on papyri. They, they continued to write it that way. And if it didn't match up, they'd throw it away. Okay? Um, 
so that's something very important to know is the fact that they were very meticulous in copying it so we could trust what we have today. Okay? Um, and that's how it was preserved down through the times. You know, can you imagine how the word of God must get in you if you're having to say it, then write it, then right. count the words on there, probably write the same page a dozen times? I mean, it'd be in you, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be memorized. Did you know that the first five colleges in America were established to study the Bible? No, I didn't. That's how important it was to us then, but we've kind of gotten away from that, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, look at the moral decay and everything that's happened in our society. Again, you're building their faith in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so uh, basically, this is, this is something I want to talk about um, for just a minute. Let's go into the Bible itself. And I know you told me you don't have your glasses, so you can't really see very well. Um, but I just I want to talk about a couple things about creation, okay? okay? And one thing I want to show you is how the Bible opens up. This is pretty spectacular. Watch this. It just says this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, Tom, you know what I love about that? I the, believe it's true. Yeah, exactly. It is true. But what's, one thing I want you to think about is God does not seek to prove himself. He merely declares himself. Correct. He said it like this. In the beginning, I created the heaven and the earth. Now, Tom, you can choose to believe it or not to believe it. But that's the option in front of you. But God doesn't seek to prove himself. You, you see a lot of people that go outside and they shake their fist up at the heavens. God, if you're real... You know, strike me dead right now. God's not going to do that. But I'll tell you what he will do. If somebody says, God, if you're really out there and they're sincere, God, if you're really out there, would you show me you're out there? God will reveal himself to a person like that. But to a person that's close-hearted, he's not going to reveal himself to them. He doesn't seek to prove himself. Does that make sense? Okay, so he just starts out, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, one thing I want you to notice, it says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. As a mess. Yeah. And watch. It says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. So it started with a moving of the Spirit. And it says, and God said. Now, that's a key word. We're going to keep coming back to that. Everything God creates, he creates by his word. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the plan of God, but he's also talking about everything God created, he created with his word. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, there's a couple of words I want you to notice here. The fact it says, God said, okay. We mentioned the fact he created with his word. Secondly, God divided. Correct. That's an important word. You know what? Let me ask you a question, Tom. Um, if God could speak and just say, let there be light, and there was light, uh, why did he not just do it all in one day? What do you think about that? You make I them think. think. You see what I'm saying? You make them think about the answer. Make them think through it. Don't just do all the thinking for them, okay? I believe that he wanted you to decide that we had to have light for everything to go on, mm-hmm. and we had to have darkness so everything wouldn't burn up. Yeah, well, that's, that's one way to look at it. Uh, but one way to look at it is, too, uh, the fact that God rarely does overnight work. And let me, let me just use this. For instance, in a life, when a life is bound by sin and they come to God, he doesn't change completely overnight. Right. Now, God can do a radical change in a moment's time, but it still takes time. 
Correct. You ever had that experience where God yeah. started working on you? It takes, it's just a little piece at a time and a little piece at a time. God did the same thing when he created the world. He could have just spoken into existence. But little by little, he st- establishes order. God's a God of order. Yeah, you're right. There's a reason he did it in seven days. Okay? Because seven's his number of completion. We'll go over that here in a minute. But God is a God of order. He puts, and, and notice it says he divided the light from the darkness. There was a point of division there. Okay? Uh, so let's see. So basically, I'm just going to kind of break this down just for the sake of time. And we could go through and read it. But everything it says here, for instance, the second day, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together. You see, everything he creates is by his spoken word. Correct. So you see, on, on day one, and they've got it all laid out in the chart for you, so it's not that hard, okay, to see. So on day one, you notice that light and darkness were divided, okay? Uh, day two, the firmament, the sky, division of water. That's what happened then. Uh, day three, dry land and seas, grass, herbs, trees, all of that came on day three. Day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. And I, I love how the Bible puts it. Tom, it says he made the stars also, kind of like an afterthought. I mean, when you stop and think about all the vast galaxies and with all of our technology, we still can't see it all. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Okay, and then on day five, the fish of the sea were made, the birds of the air, and then also on day six, animals and man. Uh, Something kind of interesting, some people believe that uh, only man was created out of the dust of the ground, but in Genesis 2, you can read the animals were created out of the dust of the ground. Correct. But let me show you what makes mankind different, okay? And I'm, I'm trying to keep my eye on the time here because I don't want to keep you all too long. I'm just trying to give you the gist of this. Okay, it says um, this is what makes mankind different. He created them on the sixth day and watch. And it says, and God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What makes man different is that we're made in the image of God. Correct. Okay. Uh, now, some people could say, well, I think it means this or I think it means that. But you know something? We're made up of three components, body, soul, and spirit. Correct. Okay. Uh, and so what do you think happens with, with the body when you die? It just deteriorates and goes away because your spirit moves on. Yeah. The, the Bible says the spirit goes back to God. But it says the soul will live forever, heaven or hell. But the soul lives on for eternity, made in the image of God. Correct. God's eternal. He made the soul eternal, okay? Uh, and then notice something here. On the seventh day, God rested. And this is important because God's going to establish that as the Sabbath, okay? It's going to be a day of rest because he established it that way. But I want you to think about this. Man was created on day six. Seven is the number of completion. You know what that means? Man without God is incomplete. Okay. See what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Now, we're going we're to kind of talk about this quickly. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to close the Bible study with this, but I want to show you something, uh, a couple things you could say about this, all right? So uh, the Bible talks about the fact that uh, God made man, and the first man's name was Adam. Right. And then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So God took a rib out of man and made a woman. There's, there's something beautiful here, Tom, I can't pass up. You know when Jesus was on the cross and he was crucified, and the Bible says the soldier took the spear and he shoved it into the side of Jesus, and forthwith came out blood and water. You remember that story? Yeah. Okay. Guess what? Just as God created woman from the rib of the man, God took the church out of Jesus' side. Isn't that awesome? 
Yeah. Okay. So anyways, uh, the Bible says, so he put them in this garden, this awesome garden. Okay. What would paradise be to you? I guess Eden. Yeah, but I'm saying, uh, for instance, like I I was teaching this at the prison and I asked him, I said, what would paradise be to you? And one guy said, I guess it's kind of like sitting by on the beach, palm trees all around, gentle wind, uh, you know, the sound of waters. But here's the deal. We can't, Eve is better than we could ever imagine. No death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no shame, none of that. No weeds, no thorns. Now, man still had a job. The Bible says he, he told him to till the earth. So there was still a job, yeah. but it wasn't hard work, okay? And, I mean, that's paradise. Yeah. And God put one tree, now this is funny, in the midst of the garden, in the middle. And he said, Adam, the first thing he said is, Adam, you can eat from any tree of the garden. We don't know how many trees there were. There were a bunch. So first he told him his liberty. You can eat from any of these trees, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, you shall not eat of it. You can't eat of it. That's what God told him. Don't eat of it. And the day you eat thereof, you'll die. So man had one rule. Do you think he could live with one rule? Yes. But isn't it kind of funny? It's kind of like kids. You can tell them you can have anything in this cabinet except what's in the cookie jar. <laughs> and then you turn around, and what's the kid going to go after? The cookie. The cookie jar. Yeah, it's that curiosity. And so what the Bible says, and let's read this. In the book of Genesis chapter number 3, it talks about the fact that we know Eve's standing near the tree. She's within earshot of the serpent. So apparently she's standing there looking at that tree she can't have. Yeah. Okay? And then it says this, and the serpent was more subtle than any beast. That means crafty. It means uh, very intellectual. Okay. He said, uh, then any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice what he said that was different from God. God started out by saying you can eat from any tree right. except. But the devil says, hath God said, first of all, he's putting a question in her mind about God and his word. Correct. Think about this. Did God put an angel with a flaming sword in front of the tree? No. Did he, did he put a fence around it? No. The one thing that protected them from eating of that tree was the word of God. Correct. Okay? And so what's the first thing the devil's going to attack? That tree. Uh, yeah, the word of God. The word of God. It says, uh, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, hath God said, put a question in her mind about the word of God. said, uh, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So now he directly contradicts what God said. Okay? Right. He's He's trying to cause her to doubt the word of God. But now he wants her to doubt the penalty. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, and it says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He's saying, Eve, God's trying to keep you back from something awesome here. Don't you realize, look at that tree. God's trying to keep you back from this thing. It's awesome. It's awesome. you got to partake of it. It's kind of like, you know, somebody said, I'd live for God, but, 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 you know, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to give that up. Because the devil's planted that seed in their their mind, making them think, you've got to give all this up. He wants them to focus on the one thing they can't have versus all the things they can do. Peace, joy, uh, hope, you know, love. Uh, the Holy Ghost, all the beautiful things God offers, okay? So he, he directly contradicts the Word of God, and he says, God said, in the day that you eat of this, guess what? Your eyes are going to be open. He said you're going to die, but that's not true, okay? Now, he told her partial truth. Think about this for a minute. It says, 
he, he doth know that in the day you eat thereof, uh, then your eyes shall be opened. We'll read in a second. That was true. And you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Guess what? When God threw them out of the garden, he said, they have become as one of us, knowing both good and evil. Partial truth. What he did not show them was the penalty. He did not show them the shame that was going to come as a result of their sin. Right. He didn't show them that they were going to be thrown out of the garden. Right. He did not show them the curses. Isn't it kind of like, you know, the big rock stars and, and the attitude of the 60s was, if it feels good, do it. Right. And so the devil paints this beautiful picture for all these people. Drugs, it's awesome. It feels good. It feels good to be immoral. It feels good to do all these things. But what the devil doesn't show them is the penalty. Correct. What's going to come. Do you all see what I'm, I'm doing here? Okay, it's not just getting straight to Acts 2.38. We're slowly starting to tear down walls of what they may believe. Because so many people out there, they say, well, it doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter what I do. You're tearing down these philosophies and these these Bible truths. I mean, these these things that they have in their mind with Bible truth. Does that make sense? Does everybody see what I'm doing? Okay, so we're almost we're almost done with this lesson here. Okay, but uh, I, I want to point something out. This is what happens. It says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. You know, sin doesn't like to dwell alone. Right. Uh, you know, it's kind of like being at a drug party. God can't do a drug alone, man. He's got to share it with somebody else. You know why? He wants to feel justified. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You see, you see what I mean? Just now he got what I said, Okay. As you talk like this, the light's going to start coming on. You know what? A lot of times the light doesn't come on all at once. It's a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Okay. Um, and so this is what happened as a result. Listen to this. She gave to her husband and he did eat. The Bible says he wasn't deceived. She was deceived, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it says, uh, by the way, I was teaching this today, and the woman said, isn't that just like the man to blame the woman with what we got into just a minute? I said, I'm not touching that. <laughs> okay, and it says, uh, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, uh, and his wife hid themselves. Weef, that was good. Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Man has a choice now. You know what the New Testament says in the book of 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9? It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This story, Tom, might have been completely different had they just confessed. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And it says, so let's find out what he did. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. He's not just blaming the woman. He's blaming God. You gave me this woman. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. And he says, she gave me, and he pointed the finger of blame. That's where that blame passing started, all right. the way back at Adam. And it gets worse with, with, with each generation. In a, pre, in a future lesson, we're going to find out their son carried it to the next level. Right. Okay. Uh, and it says, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The devil made me do it. That's what she's saying. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah, she's saying the serpent, he, he deceived me and I ate. And notice, God doesn't give the serpent a chance to defend himself. Yeah. He says, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. That's why some people think it was a snake. 
You know, we, we don't know for sure because the word serpent doesn't necessarily mean snake. But anyways, right. uh, I'm going to skip verse 15 because we're going to come back to it. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Some people may think, well, they couldn't have children before the fall. That's not true. Go back and read it. When God created me, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Right. But now what should be a joy is going to bring pain with it. Correct. Because even careful. Yeah, that's right. And so here's the thing about it is... Uh, she, now it's going to come with pain, and a lot of times women are not going to survive that birthing process. You know, nowadays it's much higher, but back then the birth success rate was very low. Uh, the woman died many times. The baby died a lot because they didn't have the sanitized conditions we have today. Okay? So now it's sorrow that comes with it. All right? And then uh, this is what he said. Uh, thy desire shall be to thy husband. He shall rule over thee. You might not want to focus on that too much if you're teaching a woman. Just... Just, you're going to get started off on the wrong foot. Sometimes I just kind of read it and let it sit there. All right. Um, and it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Now remember, God had already given him the job of tilling the ground. Right. So it's not like now he's got to work. Okay? He always had a job. But now, when he tries to get fruit from the ground, it's not going to yield to him as easily. It's going to take work. And he says, he goes on to say, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. You know when you have to mow your grass constantly? You have Adam to thank for that. Oh, all right. Okay. And then this is what I want to show you, though. And then it goes on to say that God kicked them out of the garden. Okay. But he did not leave them without hope. Two things I want to point out in closing. Um, in the midst of all these curses, God speaks to the serpent. And let's back up and read this. Okay? okay, in verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Talking about children. Okay. Seed means children. It, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Let me make this what illustration. What enmity mean? Enmity, enemy. Okay. An enemy of. Okay. And let me use this illustration. Let's say I took a shovel and I swung with all my might and I hit your knee. I might break it, but you'd live, wouldn't you? But if I did the same thing to your head, you might not survive. No, it might come off. <laughs> but see, here's my point. God's saying there's going to come a day where the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the devil. He'll bruise the heel of the one that's to come. But that seed is going to crush his head. What do you think that's talking about? Jesus. Calvary. Calvary. Because what happened on Calvary, Satan hurt his heel. He put him to death and thought that was the end. But guess what? Jesus crushed his head, and one day he's going to throw him into hell. We'll never have to hear from him again. That sounds good to me. Amen to that. And so this is, this is the last verse I'm going to read to you uh, to illustrate a point. Remember, God told them, in the day you eat thereof, you're going to die. Did they die physically that day? Well, they died spiritually. They died spiritually. But physically, not physically. Not physically. They did not die physically. They, some of them went on to live, Methuselah lived 969 years. That's a long time to live. But I want you to think about this. They died spiritually. That, that's a separation from God, okay? But watch. It's almost like God in his justice said, I got to kill him. I said I'm going to kill him. And it's like on the other hand, uh, God's love said, but they're made in my image. I can't kill him. And so the two collided and mercy was the result. Watch. 
Verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. You know what that was? It was animal skins. So that day, God could have killed Adam and Eve, but he made a compromise. And he took an animal because an animal doesn't have a soul. Right. That man's got a soul. That woman's got a soul. And so God took that animal and he, he ripped the bloody coat off of it. Blood's pouring everywhere. And he takes those coats of skins and he covers them. So God sets a precedent. And it's going to be on throughout the Old Testament that when mankind sins, an animal's got to die. Blood's got to be shed. The Bible says without the shedding of blood is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. So blood's got to be shed. But you know right. the beauty of that? One day is, it's going to come where Jesus is going to be the Lamb of God that's going to shed his blood to cover our sin. Correct. All right? So that's how I would teach one. Okay? Um, is that helpful to anybody? Did that help anybody maybe? Okay, uh, maybe that can just kind of give you a, a brief idea of some things you could talk about. Because what you don't want to do is just teach it straight out of the deal. Be led of the Spirit. Um, for instance, today, I got off on, and, and I, don't, I don't even know why. I, I kept thinking, God, I don't know why I'm off on this. But I've just learned enough by now, you've got to follow the Spirit. As it leads. You, you can sit back in the other seat. Thank you, Brother Tom. Um, but you've got to follow the Spirit as it leads. I got off on talking about evolution talking about why it's false, and, and uh, started teaching about that. I don't usually talk about that too much. But the more I talked, the more I felt the Holy Ghost. So I kept pursuing it, pursuing it, pursuing it. There was a young girl there. Um, and you know what? When I started talking about that, I got her full attention. She listened to me. So anyways, uh, you never know. All right, I'm, I'm going to try to close this thing down. But Brother Eric, if you don't mind, just take a couple minutes. I, I do want him to just kind of tell you about uh, his passion for Bible studies and the fact of what happened when he got started teaching them. If you don't mind, Brother Eric, just for a couple minutes here. And then we're going to close after that. Well, I won't be very long. I just wanted to uh, do this. Get I promised uh, God when doors started opening up for um, me to be able to do Bible studies that any time I was asked to do something that I was going to do it. And so uh, it's not my personality or demeanor to want to get up in front of people and talk and um i happened a couple years ago um is how it all started i was very confused about a lot of things in life it had caused me a, a lot of uh things i felt as a young man that i was going to do some stuff and things that god wanted to do for with me and um it would just kind of put them on the back burner when life began to get busy and tough and and whatever and uh after coming back and rededicating myself to god and uh, making, you know, some new commitments and covenants with God. I began, I remember praying one night, uh, and Brother Mills had no idea of any of this, and um, been praying, and I'd say, God, if there's still something you want me to do, then open up a door, because I don't have any idea what I can do. You know, I looked at everything, every position's filled, everything uh, looks like the church is running just fine. It don't need me. And uh, what, what, do you, what do you need me to do? And if there's something there, open it up. And it was uh, just a couple days later, uh, Brother Mills had, uh, through his wife, got a hold of my wife to get a hold of me and uh, find out if I had an opportunity, if, if I would be interested in teaching a Bible study at a nursing home. And uh, I remember my first reaction was, I can't do that. Um, I don't I haven't taught in years. Um, you know, I don't have a lot of confidence in speaking in front of people. Um, I'm busy. I had to work that day. Um, and... So my first instinct, I was going to tell my wife, just tell him, no, there's no way I could do that. Um, I'm, I'm working that day. And then I remember as, as that happened, it 
went in my mind, what did you ask God for? And so I told my wife, I said, you know what, no, I'll, take, I'll take Saturday off and I'll do it. And uh, so I remember talking to him on the phone about it then. He was giving me some information about where it would be. And, and you know, Ted, he can, uh, assured me I didn't have to be nervous that, you know, a lot of these older folk would go asleep, could, would go to sleep. And it would be like teaching, you know, some maybe like a 10-year-old Sunday school class. And I thought, well, I can do that. And so I got a little bit, you know, more confidence in it, the ability to be able to do it. And then something happened. And uh, when I began to teach, uh, it, not necessarily even on the first day. I mean, I, it it went pretty good. We had some people that got teary-eyed and teared up. And, stuff. and it makes you feel good because you feel like, well, you did your duty for God and, and all that. And, you know, you go back. I went back home and never really thought much about it. Next week opened up again. Brother Mills said he still was too busy to get to it. Could I could I fill in again? And said, sure, I'll do it and, and did it. Well, anyway, as the more I began to do it, I uh, realized that, you know, there was something to it, that it was more than just teaching people who were falling asleep on me because some were. And it was more than just teaching um, you know, saying some stuff that uh, I knew out of the Bible, but began to realize that some people came to me and said, you said some things when you were teaching that you had no idea that was affecting my life, but it, it, it was direct, uh, what you said was directly a uh, conversation we had had, something that had happened in my life that you hit on and touched on, and I began, you know, I didn't know that, and so I realized right then and there um, I had a decision to make. I could have felt good about myself and felt like, well, you know, I'm, I can, I'm actually doing uh, something here and, and getting some good results. But I realized that uh, I didn't want to get overconfident in my abilities and, and think that I, it was me that was doing that. The Bible says that no man cometh to God unless the Spirit of God draw him. So if God is not drawing them, any, nothing I can say is going to do anything, going to do them any good anyway. So I realized that I have to be a pawn that God can use and to, to say what God wants me to say and to be uh, a vessel that he can use. And one thing, the way to describe it as, as I begin to teach and, and you would feel the hunger, I would look at it as though that, you know, God is doing the work and the only thing I'm trying to do is to feed that soul that's hungry. Um, because I'm, nothing I say is going to give them the Holy Ghost, nothing I say. So it's not to try to say the, everything and be perfect and, and to know everything. Um, you know, many times I've told them before, I said, you, you know, you, you think what little bit that I say that sounds like I know a lot about the Bible. The problem is, is that they don't, most of them don't know anything. You're talking about a religious generation that don't know the Bible. Most people don't even know anything. And so, um, you know, I would tell them, you think that I'm smarter. You think what I, you need to come to church and hear what the man of God has to say. Hear what our pastor knows about the Bible because he can show you so much more than I can. He can teach you. So, and so you kind of use that as an opportunity to, to draw them because they get sometimes wowed at the smallest little things. And, you know, say something that, you know, you learned in Sunday school and they get wowed by that. And uh, so it, as they give you feedback, it, something begins burning in me. And uh, I just begin to pray and I say, God, whatever you open up, I will, I will do it. And I remember going to the college and just dropping off a card and put my name on the card, and next thing I know, the college called and said, hey, could you come and teach Bible studies? And, and, you know, and little did I know, I hadn't known that, I guess, many other people had went to the college before and tried to do the same thing, and it just never worked out. And it just happened to be perfect timing. I was driving through Portsmouth, got the, just got the inkling, I'll just drop off a card. And, you know, uh, Bible talks about not being weary and well-doing, and, I, and, and 
looking at what we, the process that we've got at the college, sometimes I go down and I sit alone at the table for a while while no one's there. Uh, many times it's just been a couple young people from the church that show up. And, uh, and you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to get a little discouraged and, and to say, well, no one has any interest in this. But then when we do get somebody show up and we're able to, you know, feed them just a little bit of the Bible, and a little bit of the word of God, that you see that there's a little bit of hunger there. And there's something that wells up in me when I cross that bridge on my way to South Shore on a daily basis. And I feel a pull and a hunger and a, and a drive to go to the college. And I told my wife, I said, yeah, I get a little frustrated with it because I'm not getting any results. But there's somebody that's hungry in there. And I just want God to lead me to them because evidently the door opened up. Maybe it was, Brother Mill said it before, maybe it was just for one soul. Maybe it was just for one. But I want it's my responsibility now that God has put it on me to find that one soul. You know, it, it could be easy if God just sent them right up to me and said, here they are, talk to them. But God put me there, now I have to find them. And along the way, while finding them, maybe we can influence someone else, and they can influence someone else. Once we, One soul could open up a big revival that could lead to uh, uh, many people coming to God. But uh, one thing I wanted to, to say about teaching a Bible study, uh, this came to mind as he was teaching I uh, could ask a question about anybody ever heard about the, the word of the Bible in, in Jeremiah 20 saying, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Uh, do you, anybody know what that is actually in reference to? We, we, we think a lot of times you say it's a fire shut up in our bones. We think we talk about the Holy Ghost and about the Spirit of God. But actually, uh, verse number 9, leading up to verse uh, uh, Jeremiah 20 and verse number 9, it says, His word was like a fire shut up in my bones. And so it's something about when you, uh, you know you have a Bible study to teach, so you have to do some studying. And when you get in that Word of God and you begin to put something inside of you, it's something that's burning like a fire shut up in your bones, and it's, it's wanting to get out. And so it's easy to go to the next person and want to teach them a Bible study. It's easy to go to the next one. When that one's done, let's find someone else to teach because there's an excitement that comes with, learning the word of God, because when you're teaching, you're also learning, you're learning a lot, and I've also, uh, not to add anything to what Brother Mills said, I could never add anything to, to what he teaches, but uh, um, the, the one thing I, I've had some success with is, I, I go a lot of times and not try to be uh, arrogant or pretend like I know more than them, and I will teach in a, in a way to where we have an open session to where I'm a student too. And I'm still studying the Bible because if they realize that after going to church for 30 years and after, uh, you know, t uh, teaching all the Bible studies that I've taught and knowing all the Bible that, you know, that I know, and they look that there's still something he still needs to learn too. That way when they get the first little nugget of truth, they don't just run off, off into the sunset and say, uh, you know, I don't, well, I, I learned a little bit that was all I need, but it builds some kind of desire in them to realize that I need to learn more, not just, you know, come to one Bible study, but I need to come to another one. And then after you come to a Bible study, I need to go to church. I need to realize that there's more God has for me. And so, you know, your attitude sometimes can teach lessons more than what you even say. Uh, you, you can prove to them that you're hungry for God, that you have a desire to do something for God that puts something in them. I made a statement one time, I think it might have been even at the prison when I was teaching, that the one thing I, I loved about the man of God here, and, and we're very blessed to have Pastor Davis to, to lead us and teach us and stuff. And we know that he's a tremendous preacher. But the one thing we can say about him is that when he's preaching, 
that his lifestyle can preach more than sometimes his words because we know that he lives everything he's preaching. And that goes along with teaching Bible studies. Your lifestyle and the things that of building a relationship with people, it preaches and teaches something to them that even your words can't teach. If you t- show them that you're faithful to God or that, you're, uh, that your desire is to do the work of God and, be, and that you love God, that makes them want to be in the situation that you are, so they'll want to love God. They'll want to be faithful to God. And so you could teach things other than just with your words. And so that's things that I've learned. Um, just I will tell you one testimony here real quick before I turn it back over to Brother Mills. Um, is that, you know, you can use opportunities and situations that happen in life with, to, to get to family. Uh, everyone here knows that uh, Buffy's been coming, my cousin. I uh, got the Holy Ghost Sunday and God's working on her, having to clean up her life. Um, it was a, it's a wreck. Um, it didn't have to be that way. 14, and when she was 14 years old, over uh, almost 30 years ago now, um, she would come up here to the altar and pray and seek God. And I would be there when God would, re- when God revealed to her, uh, that started revealing doctrine and, and uh, holiness. And uh, she, she wouldn't wear, she refused to wear uh, pants because she had a conviction against it. She found it in the word of God on her own. And uh, she she come and brought it to mom and dad and and showed my, my parents and and uh, so long story short family members uh, fought her uh, would uh, give her hard spankings if um, she would not wear pants to school and and these kind of things and I can remember I was just I'm four years younger than her so I was maybe ten but I can remember we would go to pick her up. And she would have to leave her house in pants because she would she'd get in trouble if she wore a skirt because skirts made her look like an old woman. They would tell her, and so um, she would have to run out of out of that house, down the steps and into the car. And when she would get into the car, she'd put her skirt on over her pants and then take her pants off, so that way she could come to church. That's how she had to live. And uh, so anyway, she she got fought, finally gave in, and you know went on. Went full out into rebellion, just said, well, if I can't have the church, then I'm just going to go live like the devil. And pretty much accomplished her goal, was pregnant about um, a year and a half later. And uh, so had her first baby at 15. She's got seven grandkids, and she's only 40. So it goes to tell you what, what sin can do, what, what that. But, but anyway, the bottom line is I, I, we had a funeral in the family of a cousin who had uh, passed away. Uh, either of a drug overdose or a, a result of drugs, one of the two. Uh, anyway, it was a bad situation, messed up on drugs. And good fr- that even though they were cousins, but they were good friends, hung out with, with Buffy a lot. And uh, so I used that as an opportunity to say, I went up to her and just simply said, Buffy, I don't want to see you end up like this. That's the route, that's the, the road you're going on, that's the way you're, you're you know, things are, pointing in that direction and I don't want to see it be like that and you know that was just a simple little conversation that led to more well how can I how can I fix it how can I and so when she would ask the question then I would give the answer and you know there's been times in in my time of doing Bible studies and stuff that people have asked me a hard question the good thing about God is he usually never leaves you stranded and uh, because I'm not a very smart guy I don't have all the answers but there's been so many times when when they ask a question that I don't even, my first instinct is to say, I don't know. But then all of a sudden, the answer pops into my head and I'm able to give it. Because God puts you in a situation where 
He won't put you there and not and just leave you stranded where you can't have help. He's going to put you in a spot where you can witness that person and help them. So she began to ask questions on how she could straighten up. So I just kind of guided her through there. And then at the very end, right before we left to go uh, family dinner and stuff, you know, to eat with the family or whatever, just said, well, here's my cell phone number. If you're interested, uh, Bible study, anything like that, I'll teach you. Or you want to go to church, I'll take you. Just, you know, let me know. Gave her my number, and I put it in her court. And then on the following, that was on Saturday, so then on that Tuesday, sends me a text and says, can you come and pick me up for church? And so simple as that, and it worked out. But uh, this, we had another funeral two weeks later. Uh, I was back at the funeral. Now Buffy's coming to church. There's been a lot of changes in her life. I mean, she's uh, cleaned up a lot. of Repentance did a lot of it. Holy Ghost is doing a lot more. Uh, beginning to clean up and change things. And, and uh, I had family members come up and, what's going on? What did you do to Buffy? What did you do? And so guess what that led to? Opportunities to tell them what God did for Buffy and what's how he's changing her, that it could happen to them. And so uh, this coming week, me and my wife's got dinner with a couple cousins of ours. It's actually uh, Buffy's sister uh, who we got a Bible study with this week. So, you know, one thing leads to another if you, if you um, because you, they can see what God has done with somebody that you taught a Bible study to or somebody that you helped out, and then they'll be coming to you and saying, hey, can you help me too? I need help too. And so that's the, way, that's the way it works. But the main thing is when you're teaching a Bible study, um, let it affect you. Don't just do it because it's something that, you know, Brother Mills asked you to do or, or, somebody, or somebody in the church or because Pastor Davis gets up and preaches that we need to teach Bible studies. So, well, just so we be in compliance with Pastor, we make sure we do it. But let it be something that eats at you, that you realize that this soul, if I don't reach them, they're going to go to hell. And that's when I go by that college every single day. I said, God, if I don't reach them, they're going to go to hell. And that's the way I looked at it when I looked at my cousins and, and all this at the funeral the other day. If I don't reach them, they're all going to be, I'm going to be going to all their funerals premature because, you know, drugs is eating them up and, and, and taking havoc in their life. So you don't have to be uh, a whole lot of anything. You can just be little old measly me, and you can still do something to try to affect the kingdom of God. And uh, that's that's all I have to say. I just wanted to uh, take the opportunity. Brother Mills asked me to tell you what God has done. You know, opportunity first started at um, Concord there, and I did mean to mention this. Forgot. I'm going to say this real quick. Uh, opportunity opened up at Concord, and I could have just took the first opportunity, taught the Bible study, and said, "Well, you know, that's that's good enough." And just every time I go, that's good enough. But got to realizing that. Be just teaching a Bible study and not giving them any opportunities to pray wasn't ever going to affect anything because what I'm talking, I'm teaching to people who they can't come out, they can't get to church. Uh, most of them don't even, I have, a lot of my people are main, no, no legs or, or only one leg and not able to, to walk and situations like that. And so uh, begin to teach them things about response to the word of God and about if they would respond that, you know, when we were in service, if they would worship, if they would open themselves up to God, that God would begin to do something for them. And a lot of it was what Brother Mills said. It was a relationship. Uh, the Bible says, he that wineth souls is wise. And so sometimes you have to use some wisdom. I've done a lot of things that I didn't really want to do, like, you know, go and visit them late at night. Go visit them, in the, and every time they're sick and they get a headache, they call me. And it gets a little, you know, irritating at times. Uh, but at, over a period of time, it really don't affect me anymore because, told my wife, I said, because I love them. 
on Thanksgiving Day, we went and ate dinner with them. On Christmas Day, we go by and see them. And the reason why is because we have made them part of our family. And, and the more that we do, the more we love them and the more they love us. And that's why Drew got the Holy Ghost. It wasn't because that I taught a nice little lesson about you know, that you can get the Holy Ghost. It wasn't because that, you know, and, and Caleb did a phenomenal job teaching that day when she got it. But it wasn't the fact that Caleb taught a phenomenal lesson. But what, what boiled down to is Caleb and Emily and Alyssa and some of the other young people are there. With, and we're building relationships with these people. And so they begin to see that these people care. These people love us. And so when we begin to show them that, then they begin to realize that they could trust us with what we were saying is true. And so when, when that happened, we began to see results and people getting the Holy Ghost. We, we were uh, still working on Tom and Becky. Let's pray for them that God will continue to uh, work on them to where they realize they've got to have the Holy Ghost. They see that the Holy Ghost is real and speaking in tongues, but uh, it's the necessity part of if you don't have it, you're lost thing that they have a hard time accepting. So anyway, I just wanted to, to say that and thank you for the opportunity. All right. Uh, let's all stand. Um, it's just to give everybody hope. I, I, I know that um, I've kept you all a while, and I do apologize for that. Um, hopefully it's worth it. We have uh, here at Handouts, this is a Bible study that's very, very easy to teach. It's called Water and Spirit. I went over it the last time. Probably the easiest one I've ever seen to teach, and it is very illuminating. So if you're interested, why don't you slip your hand up, and I want to hand them out. Okay. Uh, Brother Tom, do you mind handing these out to everybody? Okay. Um, while he's doing that, I'll just mention this real quick. Um, and then when, when I get through the story, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss. But um, I recently heard a story really stirred me up. Uh, there was a guy in a church that uh, it's a very well-known church, uh, not a conservative church, unfortunately. But um, the man told his testimony, and it broke my heart because he mentioned the fact that um, he had, was raised in church, and his mom was a door knocker, and they knocked every door in the city, her and the pastor's wife. Uh, long story short, he, he got so successful in his business because of giving to God that um, doors opened for his business, and he ended up becoming so rich he owned his own private jet. Uh, I, I can't even think about affording a private jet. But, uh, but this is what happened. He said one night his pastor got up and preached, and he said, Look around at this congregation tonight. Can you point to one person and say that because of you, they're in the church today? And he said he looked around, and it was a huge church, and he said as he looked around, he couldn't point to one person. And he said that night he stayed up at the church all night, and he told God, he said, God, I'm distracted. And he said, as of tonight, it's quitting. It's stopping. I'm going to become a soul winner. Long story short, so he was not born a soul winner. That's my point. Um, but long story short, he went and he quit several things he was involved with. Uh, he started teaching Bible studies because of that one man. Listen to me. Because of that one man, over 1,600 people have been baptized in Jesus' name. One man. Because he started teaching Bible studies. And as he won this soul, they'd win a soul. And they'd win a soul. Pretty soon, 1,600 people sitting on the pew, that man was responsible for. So that's just kind of a little thought maybe to drop in your mind. You never know who you teach a Bible study to. You, you could just win one soul, but they might win, you know, 100 or 200. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity we've had. Lord, I'm asking that you would spark faith in the hearts and souls of everybody here under the sound of my voice. Obviously, they have a hunger to be a soul winner. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been here and stayed. God, I'm asking that you would speak to our hearts. Help us all to get a burden for souls 
Let it be something more than just something we think about one time or two times a year. Let it be a burden every morning when we wake up and every night when we lay down. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.